Hi, today is a special day. We're going to experience a uh, baptism of uh, a, a dear friend, Sarah, as she goes through the waters. You'll be hearing of her testimony. And then a little bit later on, you'll also hear from our uh, regular guest uh, sermon presenter, Dalhove Blennerhassett, who will be sharing about the bread of life. Enjoy. There are mentions of miscarriage, so if that is something that you have or are struggling with or find too hard to bear, I am with you. Uh, this is incredibly hard for me too and I see you. If you wish to speak to me afterwards, just know that you are not alone. Some of you may know me already, however, for those who aren't yet familiar with my face, my name is Sarah. My family and I live locally and though we are still relatively new members of your church, it feels like you are already family. Some may be shocked to hear that I have just began walking with God, and yet I'm quite literally diving right into baptism. Well, sincerely, Lord, I am all in. Throughout my life, I have wrestled with anxiety and at times severe depression at different stages of my life. I was always trying to fill an empty void inside me with things that never fulfilled the promise of gratification. Always hungry, never satisfied. I've always carried the weightiness of worldly guilt and the burden of shame, which I have now come to realize is the devil's playground. Every single day, I was weary and heavy laden. My faith, it seems, was a tiny seed anticipating the optimum environment for growth. It took its roots, and I stand before you more grounded than ever. This, I pray, are the flowers before, blooming before the yield. There's an African proverb when the root is deep, there is no reason to fear the wind, as in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We speak of growth, but where did this seed come from? When I was a child, we weren't introduced to faith. Religion was unmentionable and almost laughable. I don't need to tell you that I grew up in an atheist household. <laughs> I remember once when I was a confused and gloomy teenager, I wore a cross on a necklace only once and I was immediately questioned. I couldn't find it after that. So I put that longing feeling I had for something more away in a drawer. Many years later, when Jay and I felt ready to try for baby number two, we had a miscarriage at 10 weeks after a month in and out of hospital. Your little heart stopped beating and mine was breaking. This deeply affected me in so many ways, but spiritually it broke me. I was in a very dark place, feeling the overwhelming guilt about how I could have prevented this tragedy in my life. I felt like it was my fault somehow. I was confused, angry, and was drowning in my own grief. There was no funeral, no memorial, no service, and no closure. I couldn't talk about it when I felt I was ready to talk. It wasn't exactly very light dinner conversation. I kept it within our immediate family until now and tucked it away in the drawer. I wrote a poem, or a letter if you will, in my state of grief, and though I never intended to share it with anyone, I feel a great need to read it aloud today if I may. I pray that it will finally bring a sense of healing and provide the closure that I need. I titled it Forever Young. Ten weeks old, yet you live on for as long as there is air in my lungs and blood in my veins. My heart is and always will be your home, a state of sanctuary. I grieve for the person I knew you would become, so gentle, warm, and kind, just like your sister and darling brother. The bounty of your fluttering heart, though fleeting, meant everything to me. Each beat triumphantly pounding in the stillness felt specially for me. 
They said your rhythm was leisurely to me, but it was flawless percussion. Words fail me, little one. Still, I need to know so longingly that I love you with everything I have. Mothers love fiercely, but I am ferocious in my affections. You are wanted, breathtakingly, but painstakingly absent. I am without you, but you are with me. I see you in the hues of candlelight orange and the nuances of cotton candy blue. Sunrises where I both found you and lost you all at once. A tragic duality. A piece of me died when you left this place, yet simultaneously your soul painfully collided with mine. My love, you are the butterfly that graciously passes us by. No fault was made to metamorphose my whole world. You are not ready for us, and infinitely our arms are open and waiting. You are lost to me on earth, but found in the ecstasy of the promised land. God needed you more than I. You are the wide blue yonder, the stars between stars, the blooming of flowers, and the wonder found in nature's delights. You are at home in heaven, and I will always be your mother. Medically and psychologically, we had to wait six months before we could try again. The thought of being pregnant and preemptively waiting for all those scans was so triggering. So for the first time in my adult life, I prayed. I prayed and I prayed. I always wanted a son. However, I was content with a healthy pregnancy that went to full term at that point. Not to mention if we had another girl, my partner is very strong in his stance that we are not going to go for a third. He was petrified at the thought of fathering more than one daughter. And so again, I prayed. I prayed every single day. I would cry, Lord, there is nothing I want more than this. I can't go through what I did again. I'm not strong enough. Lord, my family isn't yet quite complete. Please hear this prayer. I remember when I was 12 weeks pregnant, I was so nervous opening that envelope from our doctor. I was waiting to see Jay so we could open the envelope together. I saw the letters M-A-L-E spelt out neatly and it was so tangible that the tears just flowed out of me. I was truly ugly crying. I remember collapsing onto my knees with so much joy in the words, thank you, Lord, thank you, you heard me, resonated so deep in me. Everything that I knew at that moment changed. Some may say I was just fortunate. It was a 50-50 chance, after all. In my heart, I knew that God was with me. God heard my anxieties. He knows my hopes and my dreams. My children are exactly as I dreamed them to be. I know now that they are blessings from God. This was the day that little seed I spoke of earlier sprouted in me. I'd like to read aloud a verse from 1 Samuel 127. It reads, I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. Another verse that I think about sometimes is from Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So here we are today with a baptism and dedications for two beautiful children that I am so grateful to call my own, Daisy Grace and Ash James. A day to celebrate a new birth and a cheers to new beginnings. Jay, next comes the wedding. <laughs> 12 years together and seven years engaged. I'm running low on patience. <laughs> I have a lot to learn and to practice, but I understand the assignment. I would now like to pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Today I ask you in Jesus' name to fill me with the Holy Spirit, to baptize me in his fire and clothe me in his power. Lord, thank you for the precious gift of baptism that we can publicly declare our love and passion for you. Lord, I ask for your goodness and blessings to be poured out onto myself today as I am working into one of your faithful servants. I pray that you would work deeply within my heart and soul to renew and refresh me each day. With credit to Granger Smith on Instagram, I also pray over my children, Lord. I pray under them, I pray around them, I pray at dinner, I pray in front of them, I let them catch me on my knees. 
I pray that you have mercy on them, that you love them as I do, and bless these children every single night and every single day. Lord, take these children into your bosom, and may you have mercy on them and bring them into the kingdom of heaven. Lastly, I pray, Lord, that you are patient with Jay, and that you may walk with him in his own stride in his own time. I pray that he might find his reconciliation and from it be overcome with the joy and the purpose he so deserves. There are no words that amount to how appreciative I am to have him here with me to make this vow of dedication over our children in this church today. In Jesus' name, amen. Yours is a remarkable story. Um, God has had his hand on your life and irrespective of our input and everything, God has had your hand on your life and it hasn't had the input really of other Christians. So it's one of those remarkable things, isn't it, where you've found God without other Christians. Now, let me tell you that that doesn't mean that it's a cop-out for us, but this is a rather unusual story, wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree, that you literally had to Google how to become a Christian. Like, um, that doesn't happen too often, does it? So we are so thrilled that um, God has led you to this place this far, and we're excited with... This is just really the starting point, isn't it? Come out of the waters of baptism. Um, God is going to lead you and, and guide you all as a, as a family. And we look forward to encouraging you uh, on, that, on that journey. What an exciting day to be here. Privilege. Thanks for inviting us today. <laughs> Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. So John chapter 6. Did I say that? John chapter 6. Good. Okay. Um, so he's crossed over the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he'd performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they'd all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And we jump down to verse 24. Once the crowd realised that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then we jump down to verse 48. 
I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Thanks. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the bread of life. You, you have food to give us that nothing in this world can provide. Lord, give us eyes to see what this food is. Give us, you know, mouths to taste what this food is. Lord, help us to understand this food. Help us to go to you for all of our needs. Lord, please open up these words to us today and speak through them so that our hearts burn within us. Amen. I have this recurring dream um, where I'm on the way to the airport to catch a plane and I never get there. The night before last, I... I got onto the plane, but there were no seats on the plane for me, so I had to sit on the floor. And there's been other times that this plane has taken off, and then shortly after takeoff, it's, it's crash-landed again. And, um, and I have this dream, you know, maybe once a month, you know, and I've been having it for the last, however long, 20 years, maybe. I think this is what the dream is about. In, in my life, I'm heading for a destination, but I never get there. I think that's what the dream is about. Do you, do you have that dream? That you're heading for a destination, that you never get there? Do you, do you have these felt needs that never get satisfied? Do you hunger for things, but that hunger is never filled? You know, like uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is in the Old Testament, uh, it's got the story of Solomon. He's the king, and he, um, you know, he, he, he fills himself with, uh, fills his stomach with all the pleasures of the world. And then he comes to this conclusion um, at the end of his life, where he, he says, I've tried all of these things. I've tried everything in this world. And his conclusion is, is this. He says, meaningless, meaningless. There's nothing, there's nothing in this world that I've found that fills this hole in my heart. In, in Ecclesiastes, it, it, has this, it says that God has put eternity into our hearts. There's something there. There's something that we need, that we feel. Um, and, and we don't have that satisfaction of those needs being filled. We have these felt needs. And what our story is about today is that Jesus wants to and can fill those needs. That's what our story is about today. 
you know, like, um, let's, let's, let's pick up the story from verse 1 in chapter 6. It's up there on the board or on the screen or whatever. Jesus, Jesus had been healing the sick, and, and um, he'd been attracting lots of attention because of these healings. And it says in verse 1 and 2 that large crowds were following him. And um, at this point, um, he decides to have some time out with his inner group, with his 12 disciples. And so he takes his disciples, uh, verse 3, to a deserted place. He wants to sort of escape the crowd. Um, but then the crowd... They manage to find out where they've gone to, where the, where the disciples have gone to, and they kind of crash the retreat that, the, that they're having, verse 5. And, and, uh, and I think about this, if this was me, if I was one of the disciples or if I was Jesus, I would have been kind of, really kind of miffed at this point, like thinking, oh, I'm sick of these people, they're always wanting something from me. But that is not Jesus' disposition. That is not his disposition. Jesus wants to feed them. He wants to provide for their physical needs. And how, how he does that is well known to us. He sits the people down in groups, verse 10, and he takes five loaves of bread and two fish and multiplies it to fill the stomachs of at least 5,000 people. Not only so... But he said, the story tells us that there are leftovers. There's 12 baskets full of bread. So, this is not a rhetorical question. I want you to answer this. What is the point of this miracle, do you think? What is Jesus trying to speak to us about in this miracle of the loaves and the fishes? Anyone brave enough? To cry, you know, shout out an answer. Don't worry about your physical needs. Don't worry about physical needs. Don't worry about physical needs. So, yeah, but he is providing the physical needs here, isn't he? Over and above. Over and above. So that's a really important thing, isn't it? So um, in this miracle, he doesn't just give just enough, does he? Like there's, there's this, all this abundance, you know, there's 12 baskets full left over. That's, that maybe starts to make us think, ah, is, is God's provision for us really like we think um, it is? We think that God might withhold stuff from us or he might just give us just enough. But what if he gives us an abundance, plenty, I, I, think, I think the point of, of this story is not only that, that Jesus is willing to provide for our physical needs, but he's also willing and able to do so abundantly. I think that is so true of the story. You know, Jesus tells us to look at how God clothes the lilies of the field in Luke 12. He says that, you know, if God clothes the, flower, clothes the flowers of the field like that, much more impressive than Solomon was dressed, says Jesus. How much more will God dress you abundantly? How much more? And he's talking there about physical provisions. How much more will God just pour out things into your life? 
Is this your expectation of Jesus, that he would not only provide for your physical needs, but that he would do so abundantly? And there's also something else in the story that pushes the envelope of what Jesus might do for us. You know, let's, let's pick up the story in verse 5. When Jesus sees the large crowd coming towards him, he doesn't immediately multiply the loaves and the fishes. First, he has this conversation with Philip. Did you see that there? He's, he asks Philip, which is one of, his, one of the 12 disciples, he asks him this question, where are we to buy bread so that people may eat? And in verse 6, it says that this question, where are we to buy bread so that people may eat, is a test of Philip. That's what it says in that. What was Jesus testing in Philip, do you think? What's the test? His faith. Faith in what? That's right, that's right. Yes, that's right. Can, can God provide? Because Philip is, you know, Philip's response is, well, you know, like, it would take 200 denarii. That's seven months' wages. Let's say $40,000. It will take $40,000 to feed this crowd. That's what Philip's response is. So the test is to Philip, do you have faith that I can provide? And Philip's answer is it would take 200 denarii, $40,000 to feed this crowd. Did Philip pass the test or fail the test? Fail? Okay, yeah, probably. Like, when I was talking to Rhonda about this yesterday, she was saying, oh, Philip was just sort of stating the, the reality of things. Maybe he was kind of putting it out there to Jesus, saying, well, oh, there's only this, but maybe you can do something with it. Or, yeah, but maybe, but maybe um, Philip was still learning to um, see that Jesus has ways of providing for us that go beyond our normal expectations. Maybe that's what, you know, maybe that's what Philip is call, what Jesus is calling Philip to have trust in. Not only that Jesus can provide, but he can provide supernaturally. You know? Sometimes we think wrongly about the provision of Jesus because we expect him just to operate within the boundaries of the natural world. But in fact, Jesus can and will act supernaturally at times. And that just, like we live in this bubble of, like, this is how things work. And in our society, we, we, live, we say, this is how things work. I love, Sarah, your story about you praying, you know, after you had the terrible trauma of losing your child and, your pr- and you prayed and, and you saw the answer to that prayer as a supernatural provision. And I think that is, is what Jesus is calling Philip into here. Not just that Jesus would provide but that he would provide uh, supernaturally. A few years back, we sold our farm in Mullumbimby for a good price after it, it had been on the market for months without anyone showing much interest. The buyer turned up, like, the, finally a buyer did turn up unannounced in our backyard 
At the same time, I was on my knees asking God to provide financially. And then, so, so, um, and then we, had, we had a little meeting with our friends after that, and we told the story. Uh, we, were, we didn't have anyone to buy our farm, and then I was praying, and then this man turned up in the backyard. And so then our friend Leah, she was really... She was really um, buoyed by this whole story so she, she said oh, can I pray it again you know that someone would turn up in the backyard again and she did and then she went down the driveway and, and, and there was another person down the bottom of the driveway so she sent them into the backyard and, 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 um, and, and then and I found that person in the same spot as I found the guy the, the day before and, and so um, they there's these, there's these stories in my life uh, where God's financial provision for us has been incredibly abundant, but even supernatural, I would say. Even supernatural. Now, I've got to say that even though I've experienced this incredible generosity, I still feel a lack. You know, that's how, how I started. So, we have these needs. We have these needs for physical things and we want God to provide and we pray for him and he provides abundantly and supernaturally. But then, do we still feel, feel a lack? There's, there's something else. There's something else. And um, let's just look at our, pick up our story in verse 24. After Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fishes... He sends his disciples to Capernaum, which is back over the other side of the lake. And when the crowds realize that Jesus and his disciples are back in Capernaum, they follow them there. When the crowds meet Jesus, he confronts them. This is what he says to them. He says, verse 26 and verse 27, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. The crowd loved the free food, and they want Jesus to continue to provide for them materially. They're effectively saying, just like Moses provided the manna to the Israelites daily in the desert, verse 31, can you do the same for us? They're looking for a type of welfare state. But now Jesus points them away from this physical provision. He says to them, Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Why does Jesus not want to provide for them now? Because he just provided so abundantly, supernaturally. Why not now? What would you say to that? Yeah, it would. Yeah, I think he would put the beggars out of business. That's true. (laughs) 
Yeah. Can you, I'm a bit hard of hearing. Could, you, could someone just repeat the gist of that? Shout it out to me. So are you saying that there's, there's something more than that physical food? After that, 
Rhonda and I came up here to plant churches. And uh, we wanted to live a life that was truly devoted to Jesus. But at times, we were unwise. At times, we were incompetent. Even at times, we were morally compromised. And the long of the short of it is that we haven't lived the lives devoted to Jesus that we wanted. I hunger and thirst for righteousness, but nothing I do in this world can fill that hunger. That is why Jesus says in verse 55, My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink because he satisfies our hunger for righteousness because he offers himself as the Passover lamb, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He wants us to stretch our minds to the possibility of this, that the record of all of our moral failings, all the things that we are ashamed of, can be transferred over to him and onto the cross and into the grave, that after eating this meal, we are so wholly filled, cleansed. We are so cleansed of all our dodgy acts, words, thoughts, that there's not a trace of them connected to our names. And then, finally, we are satisfied. The disciples' reaction to this is interesting. Verse 66 says that after Jesus offered himself as the Passover lamb, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And, and maybe you feel that too. Maybe I'm talking about what? He's talking about a Passover lamb. He's talking about Jesus being the sacrificial lamb. What is that? You know? And maybe you also think that's too much. You know? But that is where Jesus leads us. And verse 68 says, There were some that didn't abandon Jesus. There were his inner group, the 11 disciples. And what they say, Jesus says to them, Are you also going to leave me? And they say to him, Where else have we to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Only you have food to give us that will truly satisfy our needs. Only you will give us food that we will live forever. Only you will give us food that will wash away all of our sins and take us into intimacy with God. Only you have the words of eternal life. As you reflect on this story, where do you find yourself in this story? Where do you find yourself? Are you Philip? Who's still learning to know that Jesus will provide for you abundantly and supernaturally? Is that you? Are you that part of the crowd who is only interested in Jesus for the free meal, for the material sustenance that he can give you, and he will give it to you, but is that all you're interested in? Is that you? Are you most of the disciples who could not accept Jesus when he started to talk about himself 
as the true food, the Passover meal. Is that you? Or are you one of the eleven who stuck with Jesus and said, where else have we to go because you have the words of eternal life?